when I look at the political landscape and the economic landscape of the world, I really have a difficult time accepting that this is what life should be. We had so many concerns about education, technology, agriculture, biodiversity, health, the environment. You, you will be so surprised as to what they are engaged in. If we can do that, we can walk on that path, we will find a lot of solutions, we'll find a lot of adventures, we'll find a lot of answers. We need to foster that entrepreneurial spirit. No judgment, no negativity, all good vibes and conversations. All this and more, right here on Grassroots Radio. Good morning. Uh, my name is Aziza Lake. I am a senator from Antigua Barbuda. I'm a government senator. I am approximately 36 years of age, and my job entails basically um, passing laws in Antigua and Barbuda. Um, the Senate in Antigua and Barbuda is, is the upper house. We have a bicameral legislature, so we have a lower house and an upper house. And I sit in the lower house as one of approximately nine government senators. And so we 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 are the body that once the laws passed in the lower house, we debate them, make amendments, we may send them back, and once they are passed, it is for the citizens of Antigua and Barbuda to comply. Pretty important job. I learn a lot. I, I, I like it very much. That's me in a nutshell and what I do. Excellent. Still yeah. quite young for a senator, so can you kind of give me the story of how you became a senator? Was politics something that you were always interested in pursuing? So I did study politics and government at university. Um, so I always loved politics. When, after I came back to Antigua, my idea was to do it from behind the scenes. Um, political consultancy, policy, writing, we deal with candidates one and none in terms of grooming, training, particularly young candidates. That's an idea that I had that to help young candidates enter the political fray and sort of give them a more modern messaging. So that is what I had in mind when I moved back to Antigua. It's hard getting into that sort of thing when, when you have no you have no portfolio. So I was working at ABS Television, which is state media. I was a TV producer, so I produced um, like daily shows. I produced so I had a daily show um, that I produced. I produced a talk show, also I produced a music show. So that I was generally doing back home, but I was also involved in different things. I was involved in um, civil activism with the National Youth Forum. With six of my other friends, we hosted a National Youth Forum for the political candidates just before the 2014 elections. Um, and that was the first time a debate of that nature had ever taken place in Antigua. So that was one big deal. I was, I was involved in activism, um, and also in terms of charity with um, JC, um, JCI Antigua. So there are a lot of different things I was doing otherwise than, than television production. Uh, but I think another part of my TV production, so my, I had a daily show, and a lot of times when that show covered issues of, of international news and politics, I would be the person that would come in and speak about it um, because of what I studied. So Brexit was like a big deal, and it commentary on, you know, different elections, primarily the, the U.S. elections, maybe um, something that happened in the U.K. So that's what I generally did for the two years, and then... In February, January, February 2017. So my boss working at ABS Television is the Minister of Telecommunications, which is the Honorable um, Merford Nicholas. Mm -hmm. So on occasion, um, 
if you really liked your show that I did, he would sometimes call me and tell me, you did a really good job on that show, which was, I, I consider this that I really appreciate it because I wouldn't really have to interact with him on a day-to-day basis because mm-hmm. I'd interact with other producers, my immediate boss, um, the general manager, which is Anime Blackwood. So to have the minister sometimes call me and tell me, you did a really good job, I can say, uh, I really appreciate it. I don't think I've ever told him that, but I did really appreciate that. So on this specific day, which was a Thursday, um, I was, my car was getting serviced. And so I wasn't at work. Well, I came to work and then I had to leave to get it serviced. Um, that struggle. So I told my immediate supervisor that, you know, I'm getting it. Um, she's like, okay, whatever. Because I have to do a lot of driving at work anyway. So mm-hmm. I can't do my job without my car not working. So I was doing that and it was taking longer than I expected. So I saw his, the minister's number on my phone. So I'm in my head, why is the minister calling me? I'm trying to think, what have I done at work recently? Was it, was it good or bad? So I was in my head trying to think of what did I do on Monday's show? You know, that's those, you know, things that go through your mind. So um, I answered. And so he, so he started talking. Um, and so he was, you know, giving me a story about his political, um, his career, how he got into politics and, you know, university. And he remembered... Um, but I had finished university and he had sent me a message, you know, congratulations. And he was telling me um, that hopefully he'll see me one day um, on, on his side of the island. We joked about that. And so I sent it back in my head. I'm like, this is an interesting conversation, not what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And so then she's so like, he came to talk about politics. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. <laughs> and so then he said that um, there was a recent opening uh, they needed an, another senator. There was a recent senator that was dismissed, fired, the, the operative word. Um, and so he said the prime minister had asked each member of cabinet to submit a name, to be a senator, a suggestion from all the cabinet members. And he submitted, the minister had submitted my name. And um, I was like, okay, all right, interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's not clicking to me as yet. And so through dialogue or whatever, that was the name that the prime minister uh, Liked and wanted uh, to be the next senator, and whatever procedure they had inside of. I don't sit in cabinet, so I don't know whatever procedures they had in cabinet. And so he's given me the call to let me know that uh, the the Antigua Barbados Labour Party would like to, me to be one of their senators. So it's like, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's be like, <laughs> just so. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was like it was that moment. It was like, wow, uh, wow. I was like, okay. So I said, um, I will I have to think about this. Because right. it was like, it was really sudden. It was Who was the first person you told once you had that news? So actually the first person I told was the person that was fixing. The person that was fixing my car was that. <laughs> um, he's my cousin. So um, okay. person I go to do that. And so he's the first person I told. And he's like, like he didn't hesitate. He's like, say yes. <laughs> and... I told two of my closest friends, Lenisa and Amaya, were the first two persons I messaged, that I messaged my family members to tell them I had something to discuss it. I said family meeting. And um, so with my two sisters, which is Dwani and Zara, um, my mom, my, and my mom and my dad. So I, after cars fixed, whatever, I got home. So I told them what happened. My sisters were like, they didn't hesitate. They were like, say yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, they were like, say yes. Um, my mom and dad was like, they were more like, um, 
The dad's like, say yes to generally. He's like, and mommy's like, whatever you want to do. She's can't tell me what to say yes or no, whatever you want to do, what, what makes you happy. She's happy for me. And so I was like, you don't have a problem. And they're like, no. And so it's like, it wasn't hard for me. And so I, next Friday, I called him and said, I said, yes. And then Wednesday, on my way to work. So that was that. Then Wednesday, on my way to work, the attorney general called me, the Honorable Cutie Benjamin, and said to pop in the office to sit down and talk to him. Um, so I called my boss to say the AG wants to speak to me. And she was like, what did you do, Aziza? <laughs> like, I haven't done anything illegal. And so I just met with the AG. And then we met with the prime minister. And we had a cabinet session that same day. So I was invited to come and sit down. We were talking, they were talking about some upcoming laws. It made the news, I think, that night. Yeah, after the cabinet note, so they have the cabinet press briefing. So I got my first media call that night. And then so Thursday morning was all over the media. Was when I got my instruments appointment from the governor general. And then the next Wednesday was, was so I got my insurance appointment on a Friday. So the next Wednesday was a, 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 a sitting of parliament. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, they were debating, because it's early in the year, so they were debating the budget at that point in time. And so my, and I debated on the second day of the budget presentation, which would have been the Thursday. And that would have been only your second day, like, yeah. actually in the job? Yes. So my budget presentation was on the Thursday of Senate being starting on the Wednesday. And I would have received my instruments of appointment just that Friday before. So wow. that was what happened in that's a really big change to undergo in such a short amount of time, even though you kind of had a public persona before then. So what were some of the, the differences going from, you know, someone who's working in the media to someone who is a senator holding public office, having way more responsibility? Well, the one thing, the big difference is I'm, I'm in the um, camera, I'm in front of the camera more often. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not in terms of research because I'm a research-oriented person, so that's not a big change. What is the big change for me is, um, which I'm still getting accustomed to, which, still, which I still struggle with, is having to sound and speak because the Senate rules are you don't read from a piece of paper, you're debating, so you're you're uh-huh. they're not reading from a prepared speech, mm-hmm. and I'm a prepared speech kind of girl, so <laughs> that was getting adjusted to. And so, um, so I get that, and and it's funny that, that my best presentations are when I forget that I, my paper's in front of me. So, which is funny. Um, mm-hmm. um, I was told by Madam President once. She's like, she's like, just get out of your head and, and just do what you have to do, and you'll see you can do a good job. And it's when you do perform best. But um, yes, yeah, so that's getting a little just learned thinking that what I say matters. And in the sense that not just what matters, what you say is relevant, because you have, so there's a full bench of senators on our side. You also have the four opposition senators, you have an independent senator, and you have a senator from the Barbuda, appointed by the Barbuda Council. So it's a full rule. So um, you don't want to repeat too much what someone else has said. Right. So you want your debate to sound original and, and whatever. But you have people who've done this for a long time, and so they might bring up the same points as you. Um, 
also. And so even with a prepare, even with coming in with prepared notes and prepared stuff, you sometimes have to you have to it's active listening. Mm-hmm. So you have to listen to what everyone's I can listen to what my entire bench says. I actually have to listen to what the opposition says, if all of them are presenting, so that you make notes. You say, okay, I can't say that, or I need to come from a different angle. Mm-hmm. Or the opposition member said that that's incorrect. You just make sure that he or she is wrong. So people might think that, um, okay, you're sitting on all day. Um, it can get very tiring um, because Senate, Parliament goes for a very long time. So last night we were there all day until late in the evening. The, it was two days ago. Um, yeah. We had, we had about seven bills and I think two to three resolutions. And uh, those can get very long. <laughs> Sounds pretty intense. Because everybody gets about an hour to debate each bill. So every senator in that room gets an mm-hmm. hour to debate each bill. So think of the possibility if you have to debate seven bills. Right, that's seven hours for each person. Yes. And that's if that person wants to debate the bill. And sometimes you don't know if, if all four senators of the opposition are debating each bill, that sometimes happens. Um, and so... That and then you have to listen to them. It's active listening. It's, so it's not just sitting on there and chilling. It's you, you have to listen to what that person is saying. You have to, you know. So and it's, there's some crosstalk involved. Someone says something, you'll hear us shout something from the other side of the bench. So th- there's a lot of that. And, but the president is there to, to rein us in to, so that we behave ourselves and, um, uh, yeah. and behaving according to the standing orders and parliamentary procedure. But so that is a learning experience for me in terms of getting up there and talking confidently. Uh, which is interesting because people say I sound confident all the time, which is weird for me because I'm not always confident when I'm speaking. I do still get nervous. So that is that is um, something that's, and I learn from, and it's a learning experience. So I learn a lot from the other senators. I learn from my leader, um, Senator Hurst. I learn from Senator Christian, Senator, Senator Christian, and Senator Hyman, Senator Frederick. We all, we all have different styles of debating. So, um, which I have to appreciate one way is my style. So I'm not a fine brimstone fairy debater like some others. So I approach mine, I approach my, my debating style is a little different. It's, I mix a lot, it's a lot of facts, a lot of factual, but I also miss, I kind of put in my anecdotal stories, especially as, as a young person. So um, for me, I debate because I'm the youngish tech person in there. So anything to do with electronic crimes or anything like that, or technology. And I, that is for me to lead. I'm the main debater on those bits, sort of bits, and education and things like that. Right, so, and you also have a background in network administrations. Yes, I was a network administrator for a while. In a previous life, I like to say. So, <laughs> uh, so exactly, when we did electronic crimes amendment um, the other day, um, which had an, an addition to a search warrant for electronic crimes, I can actually talk about my experience um, as a young person and, you know, admonishing young people to, to be careful of the things that they post. And because and, and, I've experienced it, I, you know, I, as a young person, I was posted things that I should never have posted. You know, as you grow up, you're like, you look back, you know, on Facebook memories. Oh, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. I shouldn't yeah. have done that. <laughs> so I know that experience of regretting the things that you say and do and think. Um, so I can speak from that experience. You know, I've grown up from hotmail, emails, excite, MSN, MSN Messenger, ICQ, you know, 
bonsai. Like I used all of it. I grew up high five. High five. I grew up from that generation. That was that my generation is a good generation that created a lot of the social media. Out of these billionaires are in my age group. So I came Definitely. from that to 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 where we are at, at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and IG and Snapchat and whatever have you. So I sort of understand the growth. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, I'm the uh, I also am the unique generation that grew up on social media that saw it when it first started to where it is now. Because there are young people who don't know a life before Twitter and Facebook. That's yeah. all. That definitely freaks me out all the time when I meet people who, you know, they were nine years old when Facebook came out or they were even younger than that when Facebook came out. So they've always been there on it. It's always been a part of their life. And I find that it's such, they have such a different relationship to the technology than someone who I think me and you would be of the same generation who kind of saw it come in when we were like in our early teens and had that experience before. So we have something to compare and contrast to. I think it gives us a bit more control over, like, how we decide to use these things versus someone who doesn't know anything else. So, yeah, and as young people, we don't think as critically as we should. Teenagers, their minds are still developing, so they're going to make reckless decisions. We don't think about it. You know, even as adults, we still make reckless decisions. Oh, yeah. But, um, but they are, are more, um, they're more at a stage where they, they, they're not thinking of, Okay, if I do this, this, and this will happen. Mm-hmm. And they're not thinking about, you know, my future. They're not thinking about electronic crimes. Can I be arrested for this? Can, can this ruin my, you know, education or um, employment chances? Because people are watching. Your right. employers are watching. Universities are, are scoping and your social media for your online. They want to know if that person is a good reflection for our university. What are the type of things they're saying? You see, it's university for racism, sexism, you know, different kind of things that it posts online. So these are the things that you have to implore to our young people they need to think about. Because mm-hmm. as much as it seems like it's just you and your friends, these spaces are extremely public. Like, yes. So public. And nothing ever goes away. I no. like to tell young people. Yes. Very true. So I want to back up a little bit because you mentioned... Um, when you came back to Antigua a little bit earlier. And I wanted to ask, where did you go to study? What did you study there? And sort of what was your experience um, for university? I studied um, political science. Um, I studied at Midwestern State University. Um, the funny, the interesting thing, the university I studied at has a, a strong um, Caribbean presence. The director of international services um, has Caribbean heritage, he's from Grenada, so he has a Caribbean recruitment program. So th- there were a lot of Caribbean, I think our, you're the largest on-campus organization, over 200 students. Okay. Cool. And we all live together in the same apartment complex, generally. Um, so it was an interesting experience in terms of Caribbean people um, in the U.S., mm-hmm. the Caribbean mentality, um, the good and the bad. It was like a family in terms of, you know, you can go by someone's apartment and get lunch or get dinner. You know, we would play netball and football and, and, you know, have these sporting activities. So it was like a family that sort of sense. But, you know, there's all the bad side of it. It's Western Indian people. We are Western Indian people. Um, but, yeah, it was an interesting experience. So, yeah, that's where I studied. Earlier, you mentioned that you always had this love of politics, consuming it specifically. 
where does that love come from within her? My family, I would say my mother specifically. Um, so I just grew up knowing a lot about politics and immersing myself, particularly like um, American politics, presidents, and British politics, British prime ministers, you know, Margaret Thatcher, um, and things like that. So I learned a lot about politics from her and history. I always loved history. Uh, one of my better subjects at school. So just growing up, I just had, uh, I just consumed a lot of it. Um, so going off to university um, and doing um, politics, and um, it wasn't, it was really easy for me when I realized that, because I did a, a major change, but then I realized it was doing it. I'm like, okay, this is easy. This is what I can do. And I think I was an okay student, <laughs> and classes were, were really um, a lot of discussion-oriented, and so it was fun having those sort of discussions. Um, so we did a lot of the Arab Spring was happening at the same time, and we were doing um, Middle Eastern politics, so that was exciting, you know, having those discussions while it was taking place. Um, so it was, just, it, was just, it was just always fun for me. Politics it is fun for me. So the things that excite me may not excite other people. And, and the good thing, I have friends who it excites them as well. So, you know, PM shenanigans in, in the UK right now, that entertains me um, with Boris, mm -hmm. Theresa May, and, you know, Cameron and all that. You know, those who can. Boris. Yeah. In the past three years, um, so generally, I, I pay attention to elections um, within the region, within the U.S. Um, just, I just, just elections excite me. So I just, there would be something happening in Australia. I'm like, what's going on in Australia? Okay, what's going on in Papua New Guinea? So those sort of things, like random elections excite me and random, um, the back and forth and the political um, dynamic excites me. Mm -hmm. So I, I just pay attention to a random election somewhere in the world. I'm like, oh, what's happening over in India? That sort of thing. You know, that, that interests me. Yeah, that's good. You're really keeping your perspective really wide and getting an understanding of what's going on all across the world and not just in our particular corner. Yeah, I'm really random. And I remember random things. So, like, in the middle of the, um, the electronic crimes debate, it wasn't even in my notes. I just remembered Bulgaria got hacked. Um, most of, like, they were publishing, I think, there's 7 million, and 5 million of their citizens got hacked. Um, the government mm -hmm. did case. So those are the sort of things that interest me. Right. Did you follow the um, Cambridge Analytica scandal? Yeah, a little bit. I was paying attention to it some bit. So those sort of things that interest me. And, it, it, and that's not just politics, but that's how data is influencing politics. Because exactly. politics you now is, is a lot of this data-driven. And we've sort of, we've given a lot of these social media sites so much information that we don't even realize. The games that we play, the things that we do. Um, so, like the other day, it was the um, the aging game. And right. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't realize it was a Russian app, and now that we don't read the the, the stuff on the paper, and it says um, all your information that you saw is not theirs, and they can do whatever they want with it. So those are the type of things you have to pay attention to in this, you know, technologically driven work, and that's what people are using to to win elections. Yeah. So what kind of things are being put in place now in terms of local policy to help protect people from some of these predatory kind of online activities and companies? Yeah, so the Electronic Crimes Act is from 2013 is sort of, um, it's actually very comprehensive and 
this is the second time we've updated it since I've been in the Senate because, um, and it's something that you're always going to be, um, have to update because things are changing and the, like there's new technology you would never would have imagined like every three months, I swear. So it's something that you're always going to have to update. But what I think we have to do as, as a Senate, and, and, and we've talked about this, um, is sort of educating people about our laws. Because a law can exist on paper, but do people know about it? Um, right. Are people aware of it? Do people know the ramifications of it? If an officer was to roll up on you and arrest you, do you know, like, oh, I committed a crime? Because mm-hmm. we know that in law, um, not knowing a crime, um, still word. Ignorance of law is no excuse. Right. So you may not know it's a crime, but you committed it, you're going to get arrested and charged. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's in your so, best interest to know what the laws are so that you can follow them. Yeah. So I've been trying to do a better job of, and especially on my Twitter, um, and sometimes on my Facebook, is trying to educate people on our laws and try to explain to them as simply as possible. So, I, so occasionally I have a thread. I had a thread where I explained our system of government. I also had a thread explaining an act um, had to be with a statutory corporation. And so I did a thread a couple of days ago about um, the bills we were debating um, this week and that once the debate is over, I would provide an explanation of them. So I didn't want to provide an explanation before they were passed. So sometimes you can send a bill back to the lower house for correction. Um, so we passed all of them. And so next week after Carnival, I will do um, doing a thread explanation of, of those um, bills that we passed. And of course, the one that I specifically um, debated. Awesome. And so if people want to follow you and so that they can receive these updates about the bills that are going on in the Senate, where can they do that? Just give us your Twitter handle and Facebook. Okay, my Twitter handle is my name, Aziza Lake, which is A-Z-I-Z-A-L-A-K-E. Um, on Facebook, um, I have a um, professional page, my name as well, Aziza Lake. Um, and I generally share um, like things in government that's happening. And of course, I always share this with the lower house and the upper house debates, particularly the upper house, biased. Um, and just general notices that I think people are important. Uh, I haven't had the time on Facebook to explain any laws that actually takes, because I usually, I usually have my phone in my hand, but that actually takes, you know, opening a computer, sitting down, and I, I literally have not, I can't remember the last time I opened my computer, particularly because Senate was this week. I've been traveling for the past month um, in and out of Antigua. Um, so, and generally on conferences, um, went to my brother's graduation the other day as well. So um, hopefully I can, on Facebook, I can you know, explain more laws. But generally I use Twitter because I have my phone in hand. It's easier to do threads on Twitter with your mm-hmm. phone in your hand than typing uh, uh, three, four paragraphs. And, and I find in, on Facebook you have to be a lot more detailed. On Twitter I can, you know, with the character limits, I, can, I have to be creative in terms of explaining. Yeah. It's a very different process and also different audiences. I find in Antigua especially it tends to be a bit of an older audience on Facebook. Yes. who are used to consuming their content a particular way. I think of them as, like, newspaper people. <laughs> uh, and then Twitter is, you know, every, anything goes. It's a younger audience, and I do like the way I can... I find that... Because I've explained stuff on Facebook, and I've explained stuff on Twitter, and I find that with Facebook, people read it, leave it. 
But mm-hmm. I, and they might put one or two comments, um, but I find Facebook, people like to argue more on Facebook. Um, and there's a lot of more back and forth. But I find in Twitter, when I explain things, I will get DMs or comments, and, and I find I get more um, feedback mm-hmm. from young people um, on how they consume, maybe it has to do with how they consume information. On Twitter, at least 280 characters, um, the, the, how concise it is, that, okay, I never knew that. Thanks for explaining that. And so they appreciate it, and they learn a lot. And then I get the weirdest messages sometimes in sense that someone messaged me from an Antiguan who lives in the UK. Marisha is like a Caribbean WhatsApp group with other Caribbean people. Mm-hmm. And she's like, we're all, the Antiguans are always bragging about you. I'm like, what? Oh, she's great. like, I'm like, what? (laughs) You're so accessible on Twitter. And there isn't a lot of politicians you can say that for, um, which I I found interesting. And then you you never know who's watching. I'm like, regional people are watching. I'm like, I just think of my, in my head, I just think of my audience as um, Antiguan people. So I never really think about, oh, there are people from St. Kitts or St. Lucia or wherever that are reading my tweets. And sometimes it doesn't cross my mind. Like the other day, I did a podcast with, um, it was a lawyer, it's an interesting podcast. It, it's called A Lawyer and a Policy Analyst Walk Into a Bar. It's a nice title. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so I did a podcast with them the other day and I've seen them online. And so I did it, um, discuss the, f- um, the landed campus, of the fifth landed campus, the fourth landed campus, sorry, of UE in Antigua. Um, so while I was doing the, the podcast with them, they, they commented and said that I was their first guest ever. So I'm like, that kind of, I'm like, y'all never had guests before? They're like, no, you're, you're oh, first. You know, we kind of stepped it up a little bit. We had a, so like, it just didn't click to me. So I thought, thought y'all always had guests. Mm-hmm. I didn't know first. So that was a really good discussion, um, talking about um, the new campus in Antigua. Um, That's so, excellent. So this is my second, well, second podcast I've been invited to in, in, oh. in a matter of weeks. That's awesome. Hopefully there will be many more. Is there a term for senators, like you serve a certain amount of time and then it's kind of up, or can you hold a position relatively indefinitely? Do I, want, I don't I didn't want any senators relatively indefinitely, but um, <laughs> to the pleasure of the whoever appointed you, so for me, the pleasure of the prime minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I was reappointed. We had elections. I was appointed in 2017. We had elections in 2018, so I was reappointed because you have to start from scratch again with a new um, and there's a new administration. Um, so until next election, um, and hopefully by next election, my goal is to be a candidate. So I would not be in the Senate. I would be in the lower house um, this time when there's a next election. Okay, so you definitely have bigger political aspirations. Yes, I okay. do. Um, so let's talk about what some of your goals would be um, as a senator, like currently some of your goals, and then what you would like to achieve um, as someone who is sitting in our parliament as an MP. Okay, so one of my goals is that I want to inspire, it sounds cliche, but I do want to inspire other young people to enter politics. I want, um, I want myself to be an example of what's possible and that they can see that um, hopefully I can inspire other people to want to get involved in politics, whatever. Hopefully the party I'm in, but whatever party, they, they seem comfortable. But there's my bias. Um, 
and that they get involved in, in their branch. They get involved in whatever grassroots activity. They get involved in whatever activism they feel comfortable because I want young people to um, forge their own path. I don't, I don't think they need to do things the way that our parents or our grandparents did it. Um, and so that was something that uh, when we did an actual youth forum, there are a lot of older people that think it should be done that way or should be done this way. And there was a surprising editorial that I wouldn't forget it was by DJ and Isaac, who is the chairwoman of the United Progressive Party, and yes. someone who I have political differences with, uh, but who said, and, and what I would appreciate is, said that they did it their way. If you all want to do it your way, you all should have decided to do it. The right. young people um, saw a need for something to be done mm-hmm. and they decided to do it their way. And they should be appreciated and there should not be any critique of it because no one else had the, the, the courage or the, the gumption to do it. And uh, something that editor is one of the, the I would appreciate it um, always because it's exactly how I felt. Instead of critiquing mm-hmm. people for doing something a certain way, support them because they're not, they're not you and they don't think like you. They understand the world a little differently. So you have to support them to do the things their way. And I, and, and I like, I, I love when I see it. I love when I see so an example of Project Sync. Those, those, those guys who started Project Sync saw a need to get involved in charity, but they did it their way. They, mm-hmm. they tied betting and partying as a way to raise funds to do the different projects that they want to do, uh, whether it be turtle cons- conservation. This year is, is, is about gender equality and equity uh, and, and having these events, experiment, wave, caution, what have you, and doing it their way. And so that is what I want young people to do. Just sometimes don't listen to the adults, because the adults are going to want to do it one way and just do it your way, and you might be surprised how successful you are. What do you think is making young people reluctant to enter politics right now? Like, we're finding with the new grassroots that it's very difficult to even talk to young people about politics. And there's kind of this sense that doing it their way means ignoring politics and focusing on other parts of their life. Like, you know, a lot of people are involved in entrepreneurship or they they have different goals, but the political arena is something that they kind of shy away from. They have a lot of conceptions about you know the parties and that there isn't a difference between them and there's no point to it what would you respond to someone who is kind of thinking that way i think um they sometimes they see there's a barrier that they cannot cross um for them they see politics as certain people are in a critical field but the people they've seen in critical field for a very long time and so they see it as and they see they feel far removed from it and somebody have to say, you have to, I think when we talk about politics, we say what we say, we do what we do. And for young people, they consume things at a different pace. So yeah, you have to go to them. You have to reach, you have to find young people where they are. If they're on Twitter, you have to go to Twitter to find them. If they're on this app, you have to go there to find them. You can't expect them to come to you. Um, and so that's how you have to approach young people. And so you have to engage them sometimes. And you will... Um, you will see how 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 they um how interested and how um engaged they are. So like with the, the National Youth Forum, where we did it and we got and we contacted these different youth groups and different organizations. And when we got them to submit their questions, uh, and you found that 
they had so many concerns about education, technology, agriculture, barbuda, health, the environment. You, you will be so surprised as to what they are engaged in. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we learned. Uh, and that's something I've learned uh, over the years as well. You, you have to find them where they are and, and engage them. Because they sometimes they don't know how to talk to young to the adults. Sometimes the adults don't know how to talk to them um, on various issues. It's so like sex, sexual education. The adults are not talking to young people about sex education. So because of that, they're not coming to us to talk to us about you know sex. Yeah. Um, is is it's, it's so it's an interesting dynamic um, and something and something that I I being I'm, I'm not I'm youngish as I like to say I'm not in my twenties but I'm not in my forties. So I try to be, I sort of bridge that gap, so to speak. Right. Because you're still, you're accessible, right? So you're someone who's out there kind of holding the beacon and says, hey, I'm here, I'm sharing information, and if you want to know something, you can come to me about it. And because you're in this world where, you know, it is still very adult, you can also take what you're hearing from that younger audience and bring it into political world where it really needs to be heard. Exactly. Should you become an MP, what are some of the things that you hope to achieve there? For an MP, one thing I hope to achieve is um, I'm from the Grace Green community. I was born and raised in Grace Farm for most of my life until my 20s. Um, so all my you know, development years was you know, growing up on, on Federation um, Road. Mm-hmm. I'm like the middle of Grace Farm. Um, so I want, a big thing is, I want to, for Grace Farm, for people to see that um, it's not just a ghetto, that mm-hmm. there are some brilliant and talented young minds in the community, but sometimes they don't have the resources. So one of my goals is, is to equip young people in that community with resources for them to better themselves. I feel a lot of times um, that community has been, you know, for far too long being ignored. Um, so that's something I want to accomplish. But also, uh, in terms of education, education and technology, and gender issues are also important to me. So those are the things I would want to, to continue to be involved in, um, to start to educate people a lot more about gender issues. I want, I hope I'll always advocate, we need sexual education in schools. I don't care what anybody says. That is needed in schools because you can see how it, it, it is how detrimental not having that education has been to young people in their 20s and 30s who don't know a lot of things about sex, who don't know a lot of things about... Sometimes you hear men say some things and they realize they don't know a lot of things about the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. But they never let anyone ever educated it on them who don't understand, you know, periods and ovulation and menstruation and those sort of things. And the woman, you know, will go through. I just saw a post today um, of a young woman. I think she's practiced to be a nurse or a doctor, something in the medical field. And mm-hmm. she's doing um, the pap smear. And they're doing it on the dog, you know, for practice. And a man was like, wow, he didn't know this was, you know, the pap smear exam. Um, so those sort of things that mm-hmm. you know, I remember a couple of months ago, there was an example. You know, those things, you see in the, the muscle system. Yeah. And, and it was a diagram of a woman's muscle system and the breasts and the entire body, because your breasts are, it's a lot of muscle. And, and, and a lot of people say they've never seen this in their entire life. You know, they think of in their books, and the muscle system is always a man's body. 
Huh. And so then, then he didn't know that this is how a woman's entire mm-hmm. muscular system for a woman looked. And that's sad, you know. That's that, really sad. That you find that sometimes a lot of the stuff that we do is gender um, in terms of education. So, like, so that's something I, I plan to advocate for, um, you know. And when people think of sex education, it's not about telling your kids to have sex. Um, it's about having age appropriate sex education, them learning things about their bodies and about the bodies of other biological sex. Um, so that's something that, that I'd always advocate for. And, and um, consent, particularly affirmative consent, and that's something that we need to talk about in terms of uh, something I'd love to see included in our Sexual Offenses Act um, that needs to be updated. So those are the things that I would continue to, to be an advocate for and hopefully if I become an MP, those are the things that I would like to see that I would still continue to do. Yeah, those are issues that really need to be addressed in our society. But it's really surprising to me to hear that there isn't really sexual education in our public school. And since sexual abuse and sexual predation is a big issue in our country, it seems it seems like giving young people that knowledge about themselves and how it works would also help to protect them from some of that kind of stuff because somebody can't just come up to you and tell you things that aren't true and use that as a way to manipulate you. So yeah, I think you're definitely right that this education is a big part of what needs to be addressed. Like knowing um, knowing bad touch and good touch, Mm -hmm. like appropriate um, sex education for like kids, knowing when somebody's touching them inappropriately, something we need to talk about, consent. There are women who don't know. There are situations where women have been date raped and maybe don't even know. Or men have coerced women into sex and don't realize that's not consensual. Mm-hmm. Because someone has been too drunk. I, I said the other day in a post, um, I think just before Canada, if she's too drunk to say um, um, yes, she's also too drunk to say no, don't have sex with her. Yeah. And I did that in a post. And it also showed, so in my post, and this is another gap where I said, it's carnival season. It's not just about jamming. Um, stay protected. Walk with condoms. Get condoms from you know the aid secretary. They also have dental dams. Get them from your local pharmacy. Um, what have you? Uh, you know, stay protected in that carnival season. And an older person, a good friend of mine, said, um, "Why? Why encouraging young people to have sex during the carnival season?" And it was more so of you know. Uh, the expectations of on boys about having sex, you know, being lotharios and nobody's talking to adults or talk to them about sex. And I say, I do recognize that and I do appreciate that. But people in their 20s and their teens during carnival are going to have sex and they're going to find themselves in situations. But in those situations, if those situations are consensual, because I don't advocate for drug sex and, and where the consent lines are blurred mm-hmm. or other, but if they're going to have sex, you have to give them the tools that they need to protect themselves. You don't want to get a pregnant. You don't want to get in a sexually transmitted disease. So let them buy their condom. Let them get their dental done. Um, and yeah. also, and not shame them. Right. Let them do what they're doing safely rather than yeah. recklessly. And you have a situation where we shame them and we make these snide remarks. And I, I remember a friend, there was, there was a young girl, um, she was in a line and, and she was at the farm. So my friend was like, you know, behind. And She's buying some condoms, and the way the young, the older people in the lines were looking at her, even the cashier, it's like she's protecting herself. Let the young girl buy her condoms. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you shaming her for protecting herself? 
Why are you shaming them for having sex? Human beings desire sex. So do not shame them if they're trying to protect themselves, particularly young girls. So we shame young girls and we encourage boys to have sex. Right. approach. Like, who oh, those young boys are going to have sex with? Exactly. <laughs> the, all you're doing is driving the behavior more underground where you can't see it and then anything can happen because there's no one there who is responsible. Yeah. Communication is another big thing. And we don't teach our young people effective communication. Um, so that's something that we do. Something we need to do a better job of communicating with them and teaching them um, effective communication, not just in the professional a workplace, but in the mm-hmm. relationships with friendships and yep. relationships. And so, as as I say, I've said this: the, the we adults are failing them because whenever I see adults complain about how kids behave, how teenagers behave, but who raised them? We're raising them. If we're raising them, and they're behaving this way. Then it means that we are doing a bad job. Mm-hmm. If there are any like books or resources that you would recommend to a young person who is interested in getting involved in politics, like similar to what you have done, like where would you send that person? There is well, there's a book that I think every West Indian should read. It is um, from Columbus to Castro by Eric Williams. Okay, yeah, that's a good recommendation. The history of the Caribbean. I think of that. I generally would encourage them, but it's not about politics. Mm-hmm. We read a lot from West Indian writers. Um, I think that there's so much great work from West Indian writers that we don't read a lot. We're in school and we read, you know, from um, Western writers, European writers, American writers, and there's so much great stuff from this. And you have Jamaica Kincaid, you have Eric Williams and what he did. You have Martin Carter, it's my f- one of my favorite, favorite poet. He's, he's a Guyanese poet. Um, you have Derek Walker. You have so many writers throughout the region. You have locally, you have Joanne Hillhouse. Um, mm-hmm. So there's so much. Um, you have V.S. Naipaul. You know, you have so much rich stuff from Jamaica to all the different islands, St. Lucia, Antigua, Guyana, Trinidad. There's so much rich um, writing from authors throughout the region. And I think that we should, uh, we should read more. Of, 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 of the region's work. And it will teach you so m- much about literature and history and our culture and our mythology. Um, so I think that that is very important, you know. Mm-hmm. 100% like, agree. Yeah. And so my, la- my final question for you today is, and Aziza, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to talk with me today. It's been really fun just getting to know you a little bit and hearing everything that you're thinking about. And wishing you all the best in your endeavors. Well, it was a pleasure to be interviewed by you. It's always, I'm always flattered and humbled when someone says that they want to interview me. And I'm proud of what your new grassroots is doing. So um, good luck in whatever you do. And whenever y'all have a tweet up, if I have the time, I'll always participate. So um, kudos to you and your entire team. And um, and it was was just fun being interviewed by you. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. listening to this episode of Grassroots Radio. If you enjoyed the conversation, show some love and help spread the word. You can do that by subscribing on Apple, 
Google, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Already subscribed? Consider leaving a five-star review. It helps other people find the show. If you have an idea for someone you want to see featured or a topic you want us to cover, let us know. DM us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at grassrootsANU or email us at thenewgrassroots at gmail.com. For more about NGR, visit us at thenewgrassroots.com. Until next time, this is Grassroots Radio.